0: Beautiful vision, beautiful vision. What was that about the Hulk? (laughs) Huh? Oh, buddy, okay. We do have an amazing God and an amazing story to share, one that we've been commissioned To share, we've been studying together the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the record of how the Great Commission was initially fulfilled. Before he ascended into heaven, Jesus commissioned his apostles to make disciples of all nations to go, to teach, and to baptize. They were to begin where they were, in Jerusalem, and to then move out in ever-increasing circles to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the remotest part of the world. The book of Acts is the record of how they did it. How the church in Jerusalem grew from 12 to over 5,000 in a very short time. How it then spread throughout Judea and into Samaria. How God pushed Peter into Cornelius' household and Gentiles were brought into the church. How persecution drove believers into other parts of the world and how those believers began to actively evangelize among the Gentiles. By the end of chapter 11, we noted a shift in focus from Jerusalem to Antioch where Barnabas and Saul were teaching. We also met Agabus and other prophets who came to Antioch to warn about an impending famine. And we saw how the church in Antioch responded by sending relief to the church in Jerusalem. Chapter 12 then took us back to Jerusalem to witness the martyrdom of James and the arrest and miraculous release of Peter, who after his release departed from the scene and from center stage. You know, Peter had dominated the record for 12 chapters. But in chapter 13, Saul, who was also known as Paul, comes into focus. And he dominates the rest of the book. Now, we call the book The Acts of the Apostles, but as we've noticed, it really focuses on the work of just two apostles, Peter and Paul. I had a professor suggest a better name for the book would be Some of the Acts of Some of the Apostles. But perhaps an even better name would be The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because in actuality, it is a record of how He directed the growth and development of the church. And that really becomes evident in our text for today where we see how the Holy Spirit led the church to launch its first organized missionary effort. It had been reaching out almost spontaneously, but now we see an intentional planned effort to do so. We see individuals set apart and sent out for the express purpose of evangelizing and establishing new churches. And obviously there is much to be gained from this passage. The record of Paul's first missionary journey has value in its own right, giving us an historical perspective on the birth of missions. And it's instructive for the church today, teaching the priority of missions and demonstrating a spirit-directed approach to missions. But it also has a very personal application. For as we individually seek God's guidance in our life, our lives should become spiritual, spirit-directed missions. In order for that to happen, we need to know how the Holy Spirit works, what to expect, and how to let Him lead in our lives. And I think we learn of that in our text for today, where we see Barnabas and Saul called, sent, and empowered by the Spirit. Finishing up chapter 12 and then moving in to chapter 13. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who's called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manion, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Barnabas and Saul returned to Antioch after fulfilling their mission in Jerusalem, after delivering to the elders the funds that had been donated to help prepare for the famine. When they returned, they brought with them John Mark in whose home the believers, including perhaps Barnabas and Saul, had gathered to pray while Peter was in prison. Now John Mark was a young man and was a cousin to Barnabas, something that would eventually lead to a problem between Barnabas and Paul, but Let's not get ahead of ourselves there. When they got back to Antioch, Barnabas and Saul resumed their roles as prophets and teachers in the church along with several others. Now, Barnabas is named first among the prophets and teachers, so he was probably the most prominent. Others listed included Simeon, who is called Niger or Black and may have been the Simon from Cyrene, who carried the cross for Jesus. Lucius of Cyrene, who may have been Luke, and Manion, who was apparently of royal descent, having been raised with Herod Antipas. And last but not least, we find Saul, named among the prophets and teachers. Now, the Greek construction groups, the first three is a unit and the last two as a unit, possibly indicating that the first three were primarily considered to be prophets and the last two teachers, but both were Spirit-empowered positions. You know, prophets in the early church had the ability to foretell as well as to tell forth the Word of God. And before the, Holy, before, before the New Testament was completed, teachers were often given special gifts from the Holy Spirit that enabled them to know God's will for the church. These men were spirit-directed, spirit-filled leaders in the church. Now, how their specific responsibilities were divided up, we can't be sure. But what we do know is that they were all actively involved in ministry in the church at Antioch. And while ministering to the Lord and fasting, Luke tells us they received a message... From the Holy Spirit. Now, what's actually meant by ministering to the Lord is open to debate. The word translated ministering was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to the work of priests and Levites. Our word liturgy comes from it, leading some to suggest that they were actually involved in a worship service when the Spirit spoke. Others, however, note that the word also has a broader meaning. It can simply refer to service, to serving, to meeting needs that exist. So there's really no way for us to know if the Spirit spoke while they were in worship or while they were simply serving in the church. And the fact that they were fasting isn't much help either. You know, fasting can be an expression of worship, of seeking God's will or expressing, expressing a contrite heart before him. Or it can simply be the result of being so busy ministering that you don't take time to eat or giving your lunch money to someone else who needs it more than you. But either way, in the context of doing, that the Lord spoke to them. They weren't just sitting around waiting for the Lord to speak. They were already doing what they knew he wanted them to be doing. They were ministering when he spoke with some additional specific instructions for them. Now, how he spoke, we aren't told. He may have actually spoken through a prophet, one specially gifted to receive such messages, or he may have simply made his will known through unanimity of spirit. You know, while seeking to faithfully minister in the church, they may have all just come to the same conclusion of what they needed to do. And in fact, that's how our elders seek to know the will of God for congregational matters. We seek God's will in Scripture to lay down the basics, but when it comes to specific how-to-apply situations... We just look for unanimity of spirit, and we trust that if we're being led by the spirit, we'll all agree. Maybe that's what they did. However they did it, the spirit made it clear that Barnabas and Saul were to be set apart for special ministry. They were to be officially set apart for the work to which he had called them. Now, we should and must note that the church didn't call them into the ministry. God did. We know of Saul's call, but we're not told the specifics of Barnabas's. His may have simply been communicated through an inner impulse to do something. You know, I really don't know how God calls someone. I don't even know how he did it in my life. But I do know at six years of age, I knew I had to be a preacher. However he did it, Barnabas and Saul both knew what they had to do. And the Spirit directed the church to get behind them, to encourage them, to support them, and to send them out. Now again, it wasn't the church's place to convince them that they ought to be missionaries. And I'm convinced it's very unwise for the church to try to recruit anyone to go into the ministry. It's God's place to do the calling. But we should teach our kids to be sensitive to the call of God, to be open and ready to respond if they sense Him calling them into some specialized ministry. And as a body of believers, we must be there to encourage and support them in those decisions, something we've been privileged to do many times over the years with our numerous Timothys, one of our greatest joys as a church. Well, that's what the church in Antioch was doing when they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul. Another issue comes up, though. (laughs) What was the point of the fasting and laying on of hands? We understand praying. How did fasting and laying on of hands work into that, into sending them out. Well, if you think back to the Old Testament, when Esther was planning to go before the king on behalf of her people, she asked them to pray and to fast with her. We don't know why other than it gave her strength to do what she knew God wanted her to do. She wanted to know the people were with her. And while the laying on of hands may be a way to bestow a special blessing or in the case of an apostle to impart a miraculous gift, it also serves as an expression of unity and support, a one-for-all and all-for-one kind of gesture. Whatever the purpose and however they may have been done, the point is that the church sent them out with every assurance That they were with them in their ministry. But still, in the final analysis, both were called by the Spirit and they were sent by the Spirit. Let's read on. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. (coughs) And reached, when they reached uh, Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away. From the faith. You know, after stating that they were sent out by the Spirit, Luke simply notes that they then went to Seleucia, the port city 16 miles downriver from Antioch, and sailed to Cyprus. He does not say that the Holy Spirit told them to go there, the Spirit sent them out but he apparently didn't tell them where to go. It appears that he left that up to them and to the good sense God had given them. So they decided to go to Cyprus, Barnabas' home, where he would no doubt have personal contacts, where there were numerous Jewish synagogues and the place from which some of the believers in Antioch had come made sense to start there, so that's where they headed. Now, God could have stopped them. He could have closed the door of opportunity, or He could have told them specifically where to go, but usually He allows us the freedom to determine how we can best fulfill His will in our lives. You know, He seldom prepares everything for us. He doesn't send us detailed instructions on what to do with our lives. He wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. He wants us thinking, searching, praying. He gives us a degree of direction. He sets the course and then simply tells us to go, assuring us that He will keep us on course if We'll stay sensitive to His leading, remain obedient to His revealed will, and just keep walking by faith, trusting that where we're going is where He wants us to go. Now, if we get off course, He can step in, and He can nudge us in another direction. But generally, He lets us experience the excitement of finding our way through life. And I'm glad he does. You know, I wouldn't want my whole life mapped out for me. I'm thankful for the freedom that he gives us. Well, Accordingly, Barnabas and Saul went to Cyprus. They landed on the east coast and began preaching in Jewish synagogues. Now, we're not told of any results from their preaching in synagogues, and they may not have had any. After all, Paul had been called by God to primarily be an apostle to the Gentiles. But they preached their way across the island, some 140 miles, and when they got to Paphos on the west coast, an unexpected door was opened for them. The proconsul, the governor of the island, had heard of their trip across his island, and he wanted to hear the word of God. His court magician was Jewish, a man named Bar-Jesus. That means son of Jesus. And these guys were preaching about someone named Jesus. So he wanted to hear what they had to say. Now, Bar-Jesus, or Elemus, which means skillful one, didn't want Sergius Paulus looking to these itinerant preachers for spiritual direction. So he opposed them and actually sought to turn them away from the faith. And that shouldn't surprise us. For as we seek to do God's will, we can be sure some will actively oppose us. If the Holy Spirit is directing us, we can be sure the unholy spirit will be fighting against us. But greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. If we'll be filled with the Spirit, we can overcome opposition just as did Saul. Reading on. But Saul, who is also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now, behold, The hand of the Lord is upon you. And you'll be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. And the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened. Being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now from this point in the book of Acts, Saul goes by his Greek name, Paul. His Jewish name, Saul, was probably given to him in honor of the first king of Israel. And it was no doubt effectively used to gain entrance to, uh, to synagogues. I'm Saul. Oh, welcome. But now he's before a Roman governor. So it's Paul. And it will remain so through the remainder of the book. Anyway, Paul was trying to witness to Sergius Paulus, and Elemus was opposing him. But you know, opposition doesn't necessarily mean a door has closed. It may simply mean the job is going to be harder than we expected. But if the Holy Spirit has called us and sent us, we can be assured he will equip us for the work. He'll give us what we need. And he certainly gave Paul what he needed to confront elamus Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him, and then cut loose. He declared elamus to be full of deceit and fraud, that he was the son of the devil, not the son of Jesus, and that he was the enemy of all righteousness. He then asked, will you not cease to make crooked, to pervert the straight ways of the Lord? And exercising apostolic authority, he told him the hand of the Lord was on him and that he was going to be as blind physically as he was spiritually. Immediately, a mist and a darkness fell upon him and Elmas was struck blind. He began groping around for someone to lead him by the hand. In some ways, this reminds me of Peter's confrontation with Ananias and Sapphira. It's obviously not a gentle rebuke. And at times, there is a need to confront powerfully. This was one of those times. The Holy Spirit not only gave Paul insight into the situation and what needed to be done, he also gave him the courage to say and do what had to be done. It's not always easy to say what you know God would have you say. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be empowered to do so, and you'll know what to say. You know, it never, never ceases to amaze me how the Spirit will give me words to say in a, a difficult counseling situation, or even a teaching situation when I'm really in need of his help. And obviously the Spirit was directing Paul because the council was persuaded. And it's the Holy Spirit, remember, that does the persuading. It's not us. Okay? He was persuaded that the teaching of Paul was true. When he saw the work of God he believed and being an intelligent man he was in awe of the teaching that Paul shared it was amazing it was something he never heard before it made sense the proconsul became a Christian inscriptions have actually been found in Cyprus stating that Sergius Paulus and his family became Christians He saw the power of God at work. And he became a believer. Now, you may not have seen anyone struck blind, but I trust you've seen eyes opened and lives changed by the power of the Spirit. And that same Spirit wants to dwell in you and will, if you'll but surrender, the lordship of Christ and let his spirit have control. Have you seen enough to believe? Does the teaching of God's word amaze you and make sense to you? If it does, now is the time to surrender to the lordship of Christ and to make of your life a mission a holy mission directed by the Holy Spirit